0: Merry, Merry Christmas. Uh, Christmas is this Wednesday, so I I am so excited. My kids have a hard time waiting for Christmas. I think all kids have a very difficult time waiting for Christmas. I want to show you some actual letters that were written to Santa Claus. Um, This one, first one's from Mike. Black Tops 3, PS4, Hoverboard, Golden Watch, $29. How specific, Mike? Not a penny more, okay? making it difficult. on Santa. Now Santa has to break a 10. It's all confusing. Letter two. Dear Santa, if you want to grab a beer, feel free to get the lot or just one. P.S. The fridge is near the door. Then Santa wrote back, just the one was great. <laughs> Number three, you better bring me a pony this year or there will be consequences. <laughs> this is a ransom note. She knows what she wants. Letter four, dear Santa, I am so good and never say bad words to no one, not to my parents or the middle finger. To Santa, from me, Josie, P.S., am I on the good list? Debatable. And number five, dear Santa, I want Simba's dad to wake up. You and me both, kid. Um, Instead of asking for material goods, he wants the resurrection of the beloved fictional character, Mufasa. Oh, man, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, Here Prodigal, we don't try and pretend that we have it all together. Um, Actually, we're together in not having it together. That's one of the things that we say. And you know what we all want for Christmas, though? I, I really find this to be true. We all want no problems. Like, not just like no problems that day, but just like all the problems in our lives, like get rid of them. Sometimes I'm praying to God, I'm listing off all the problems that are going on that I'm praying for, and I just, I just kind of stop and I just go, God, get rid of all my problems. And it doesn't really ever happen. In every single one of our lives, we have this issue, this struggle, this difficulty, this problem, it won't go away. And when it finally does go away, something rises up and takes its place. We'd all like to wake up Christmas morning and unwrap from Santa, all of our problems leaving us. Um, But unfortunately, I don't think that's what Santa's going to bring. It's easy for us to look back on that silent night, that first Christmas, 2,000 years ago, and think of just how perfect it was, right? Mary and Joseph in perfect peace, the hay is soft, not coarse, the weather outside's in the 60s, it's a cozy night in Bethlehem. Shepherds and magi are there encouraging them. Animals are gathered around singing Silent Night. No, childbirth is a lot of things. Silent and peaceful is not one of them, right? My wife and I have two kids. We have a six-year-old boy, Dex, and and a two-year-old daughter, Ivy. We've experienced childbirth. And when my wife gave birth to our son, it was just, you know, so peaceful. I held her hand as we sang the first Noel together um, in a soft voice. In between each contraction. Um, As she began to push, we brought in some animals into the hospital room during the chorus. She held my hand in such a soft, tender way and spoke only words of love about how I did this to her. And no, birthing is loud, right? It's not peaceful. If shepherds and magi come into her room while she's trying to give birth, she's like, who are all these guys? Shepherds? The only shepherd I want is Dr. Shepherd from Grace Anatomy. So unless it's a handsome brain surgeon from TV, get them all out of here. The truth was, it probably wasn't that so silent of a night 2,000 years ago. We project that Mary and Joseph had no problems or certainly didn't have the problems that we have, but there was a great tax by Caesar it was a time of transition. It was a time of the census. It was extremely difficult. They were under financial stress. Uh, is anybody going through that this season, by the way? You'd probably say amen, but you say it under your breath. Uh, but financial stress. There was no place to sleep. There was no Airbnb, no Motel 6, no hospital. And they had to flee to Egypt to live as refugees. You don't think Mary was still just a little bit upset that Joseph didn't believe her? Right? She's like, I'm pregnant. And I'm also a virgin. And he's like, mm, probably not, right? And like, he's going to divorce her until an angel shows up on the scene and says Mary was right. And then I wonder what that conversation was like. Mary, Joseph goes back to Mary and he's like, oh, you were right. You know, uh, sorry about that whole thing. She's probably bitter. Uh, to top it off, they have these night shift shepherds that show up on the scene, uninvited. So there's financial stress, there's issues with their living situation, there's arguments with spouse, probably in-laws. For many of us, the first Christmas is a lot like this Christmas. Um, I read of a curious little boy asking his dad some deep questions and he said, dad, where do people come from? Dad thinks about it for a second. He says, well, son, we come from apes. So then he goes to his mom in the next room and she goes, mom, where do people come from? She thinks about it for a second and she says, well, it's kind of hard to understand, but we came from God. We're his kids. He created us. And the little boys confused, and so he says, "But Dad said that we came from apes." The mom says, "Well, his side of the family does. My side of the family not so much." With families comes drama, and it was no different for Joseph and Mary. The incredible part of the Christmas story is that it was true. It's not a fairy tale. Um Joseph and Mary were real people in real time. Jesus was a real baby born in a podunk town five miles outside of Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph had to raise Jesus as a baby. They didn't get to skip the toddler phase or the the sleepless night phase. There was no pacifiers back then to shut up the baby Jesus when he's crying. Picture Jesus holding a pacifier in his mouth. Um, No, Mary and Joseph, they they had to raise him. They didn't get to skip stuff. In every season of life, There are difficulties, but there are also great joys. How many of us have missed out on the season that we're in because we're waiting for the season that is to come? No matter what season you're in, whether it feels like winter, and it feels like the sun's not shining, and there's no life, there's nothing in bloom, and you're like, God, how long am I going to be in this season? I want to assure you, it is a season, and seasons change. Every season has problems because every season has people. That's the way life is. There's No saying it's a perfect church. Because If there was, uh, when we show up at it, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Uh, people. People are the reason why there's no perfect place. There's no perfect church. Don't waste this season because you're waiting for the next. So even in the midst of this winter, some of you feel like, man, it's just been raining for a long time in my life. Cloudy. I can't really see what's next. When's the sun going to come out? Is God even listening? What God might have a lesson for you in the midst of this season. I'm sure he does. But if you're dreaming of the next, you might miss what's right in front of you. We spent the last three weeks in our church unplugging from the virtual world and plugging into the real one and if you participated in our be present challenge um you can head to the info kiosk we've got a, a you know a small little gift for you but we believe that god demonstrates in his value for people by showing up on the scene that's what the christmas story is about god show god in a bod god showing up meeting us where we are and the people of israel were waiting they've been waiting for this king for years since the time of king david and they were like, when is this Messiah going to show up? And they were waiting and hoping. And they hoped that when he finally did show up, they were going to get rid of the bad guys. Get rid of the Romans. Those people, they're the problems. Get rid of them. But when God showed up in Christ, it wasn't to remove all of our problems, but to show us how to love and to live in the midst of our problems. That's different. Some of us, we've been thinking that certain people, man, those, they're the problems. But people are not problems to get rid of. People are God's image bearers to love. Thomas Merton, famous um, monastic um, monk, he devoted himself to the monastic life and and often felt a distance from people because he'd be living at monasteries and things like that. And so he had this defining moment, though, uh, in Louisville. And uh, he's in this busy street corner, and he has this amazing kind of spiritual uh, awakening. And he says, "This is what he writes. This is beautiful." He says, "In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, at the center of the shopping district. Now you can change it. In Fresno, at the corner of Blackstone and Nice, at the River Park Shopping Center. Um, uh, in Clovis." on Shaw and Sunny side at the Sierra Vista Say Change it for your context. And, and this is still true. He says, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the real, realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking up from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. The whole illusion of a separate holy existence is a dream. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts, whether where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. Isn't that beautiful? Love God, love people isn't just our purpose statement in our church. Just because it looks good on a, on a brochure. No, we really believe that the purpose, the great purpose of us, of, of us as humanity, is to love God and to love people. Jesus says this, Matthew 22. He, Jesus is asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Uh, once upon a time, a person was touched by God, and God gave him a, a priceless gift. And this gift was the capacity to love. He was grateful and he was humble. He knew what extraordinary thing had happened to him for this to, 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 for him to be called upon. And so he carried around like a jewel and he walked tall with purpose. From time to time, people would smile and they would try and, uh, you know, touch this, this precious stone and, and this, this, this ability to love, but they would, do, they would make it dirty. They would, they would smudge it up a little bit. And so uh, every time he loved, he opened himself up to a little bit of pain. And so this was no precious way to treat something so valuable, so he decided to only show it to those who would treat it with care, those that would respect it and have reverence for it. But even that didn't work. Some tried to break in the box, so he built a bigger, stronger box. He kept that love inside so that no one could get to it, and it made the man feel good. At last, he was finally protecting this great gift that God had given him. And upon occasion, when he decided someone had earned the right to see it, he would try and show it proudly. But sometimes they refused, kind of smudged it or glanced at it disinterestedly. And so much of the time, he just kept it in and said, I have the loveliest of jewels in this box. Once or twice, he opened it and offered it to people and said, look, I want you to see it. Look. The passerby would look and look and then walk away and shake his head. The man died and he went to God and he said, God, you gave me a precious gift many years ago. I've kept it safe. I've kept it as lovely as the day you gave it to me. And he opened up the box and he held it out to God. He glanced in it. And in it was a lizard, an ugly, laughing lizard. And God walked away from him. Love doesn't stay glowing when it is not acted out. It actually becomes distorted. N.T. Wright says this, the same door that opens to let out your love for God is the door that opens to let out your love for neighbor. You are a miracle. You have unsurpassable worth and value. Uh, your, the chances of you being struck by lightning is 1 in 700,000. The chances of you being attacked by a shark is 1 in 11.5 million. Chances of you winning the lottery. Have bought bottom before. Someone's gotta win, right? Uh, one in 75 million. Your chances of being born, one in 400 trillion. You are a miracle. If your dad stayed at work five minutes longer, you wouldn't be here. If your mom didn't have that glass of wine, you wouldn't be here, okay? You're more likely to win the lottery while being struck by lightning and attacked by sharks than you are to be here right now. You are a miracle. Don't tell me you're a mistake because God made you, God loves you, God's got a plan for you, God desires good things for your life. You have a purpose, you have the gift of love and it's meant to be lived out. It's meant to be shown. It's meant to be given away. This is the call of God on your life. You're called to love the God who made you and to be a force of love to the world around you that's what we're called. It's always been about people. Your real life miracles. Your neighbor's a miracle. Your boss is a miracle. Your enemy's a miracle. We're walking, talking miracles made in the image of God. We should treat people like that. Not problems to be fixed, but miracles to be loved. One of my favorite Christmas stories is about a young couple with an 18-month-old son. They'd gone to spend Christmas at the grandparents', and Christmas fell on a Sunday that year, and the father had to get back to work on Monday. And so, uh, after they said their goodbyes, they set off for home, and there wasn't that many places open. It was Christmas Day, but they did find a truck stop diner that was open. So they stopped to get fuel and eat. And they went inside the dimly lit restaurant, and they sat down, and they thought they were the only customers there, but uh, little Eric, their 18 month old, kept saying, Hi, Dare, Hi, Dare, Hi, Dare, Hi, Dare. Every time he said it, they would hear a response from the table behind him. And it was an older man. He'd say, hi, little boy. Hi there, little boy. And he had his clothes were tattered. His coat was several sizes too big. It was torn. His jeans were on the floor. They had holes in them, His shoes had holes in them, And when he, he was unshaven, and when he smiled, he, it revealed that he had no teeth at all. And yet, for some reason, this 18-month-old baby is drawn to him. Hi, dear. Hi, dear. And every time the man would answer. And finally the man said, little boy, do you know how to do patty cake? So then him and this little boy do patty cake, and, and he's smiling so big, nothing but gums. Little boy, do you know how to do peek So he did, peek oh, peekaboo, boo peek a And he's making little Eric laugh, and he built this rapport. Eric's parents kind of began to feel a little bit uneasy. Husband whispered to his wife, Let's eat our food. Let's get out of here as quickly as possible. So they gulped it down. I'll pay for the food. You get Eric out the door. And as they walked past the old man, uh, little Eric lunged towards him. And the man said, can I hold your baby? And by the time she could answer, he has gripped um, the, the old man's neck. And he's resting his, his, his face right here. And the old man is hugging him tight, patting him. And tears are flowing from his eyes. For a long moment, he held that child and he loved every second. And As he looked back at his mom, he said, you take good care of this boy. And she said, I will, sir. Then he gave Eric back to her and said, thank you. Thank you very much. You have given me my greatest Christmas present. What was this man's story? What made this so powerful for him? Did he lose a child? Was he reminded of the innocence that he once had but now had lost? Did he have no family at all? We don't know, but God does know. Because that person, that man, that toothless, homeless person matters to God. People are God's beloved, not God's reprobate. God loves that person. God loves little Eric. God loves those parents. God loves the waitress at that diner and the chef working out back and the attendant who's pumping gas. God loves walking, talking miracles. What are you going to do with the gift of love this Christmas? What are you going to do with the gift of love on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, in the year 2020? What are you going to do with the gift of love, the capacity to love? How can you give it away this season? I'm to invite knowing the band come up and we're going to declare the kingship of Jesus. Jesus grew up. He didn't stay a baby. He grew up to be crowned king of kings. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a royal crown made of gold and precious stones. No, it was a crown of a thief. And it was a crown of thorns placed on his head. And he bore the, the, the pain and the shame of the sin of humanity on that old rugged cross and on that third day he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death because we can't. He's the true king. The true king. We want to proclaim that with our lives by the way that we live, by the way that we love. So would you stand as we declare the kingship of Jesus together?